Well, how's it going? Um, after my night last night, I feel that I have permission that if anyone falls asleep during this, I can, uh, you know, just punch you, as long as it's not on the back of the head or below the belt, McGregor style. Uh, actually, if you're, you're, you're falling asleep, it might, you might be at home because you, like, didn't come because you were up till 12, 30, 1 o'clock. Um, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything that I'm saying this morning. But it was fun last night, for those of you that know what I'm talking about. Um, for those of you that don't, no problem. Um, but, uh, so, it is, a, it is a tremendous opportunity I have this morning um, to preach my final uh, sermon here as pastor at, at this church um, after 10 years of serving and walking with this body. Um, and it comes with, a, with just an, an immense amount of sadness. Um, and uh, gosh, it, is, it has been just the joy of my life to walk with you all, to serve with you all, to um, just pursue the Lord. Um, just the joy of my life. And, and I just want to kind of out the gate say that. Um, I will probably say a lot of things this morning. Um, I'm a like, how can I say everything I want to say? This is like my last, well, I have next week I could interject and interrupt Rick, but um, just sabotage the final, no. Um, there's a whole lot I want to say this morning, but I, I think out the gate, I just want to say it has been the absolute joy of my life um, to walk with the Lord um, and journey here this morning and over the past 10 years. So this morning I want to reflect on some things. Um, I want to lament and celebrate change. Um, I want to challenge us, um, challenge us to what the Lord is doing, and I want to set our eyes onward, and I want to set our eyes upward. Um, and, and in the very end, I want to, I want to commission you um, for, the, for the next chapter that the Lord has for, for this family. Um, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm realizing, um, is that, that life is this journey where God is always wanting to transform us, always wanting to change us, always wanting to do this work. Um, we're not huge fans of it oftentimes. Like, we're just like, let's just stick to the script. Let's just keep things going. Um, some of you are oddballs, and you're just like, what's next? What's next? What's new? Like, um, but but for, the, for the majority of us, um, we're just kind of steady. Um, let's just keep the pace going. Um, God is in the business of transforming us. It's not a business. I don't know why I use that word. That's terrible. God, God is in the relational business, if I can, to change us. Um, so I want to I highlight a little bit on the Apostle Paul. So if you have your Bible, go to Acts chapter 20. I'll meet you there here in a second. Um, Paul, um, in Acts chapter 20, where we're at, he's celebrating the faithfulness of God in his, in his life and in his ministry. That's what he's doing. Um, and when, when, you, when you read about the Apostle Paul, there, is, there are few transformational journeys um, as exponentially transformative as you have the Apostle Paul. And I want to give you a couple examples um, of how marked his life was by the transforming power of God. Um, there's numerous stories I could go to, but I, w- I just want to go to a couple 
for the sake of time. The first one, um, you stay in Acts 20. I'm not going to turn to all these passages. I'm just going to um, kind of summarize them. The first one happens in Acts chapter 9. Um, Paul, who was Saul, you might be familiar with this if you have any church background. If you don't, no problem. I'll fill you in. Um, he's like the ultimate uh, hater of Christians. Um, he hates what they believe, and even more so, he approves of individuals to execute those who believe um, what he uh, does not like, and so he is just a, a, an incredibly evil man. Um, God comes to his, meets him on an particular day, and strikes him blind. He doesn't see, eat, or drink for three days. And in those three days, God strips away everything. And the only thing he leaves with them is his hearing. Sometimes God does that in our lives. He strips away everything so that we can hear him. Paul hears him on that day. And God saves him, transforms his life And he goes from one week approving of the execution of God's people to the next week calling people into the family of God. Like, talk about a transformation. Talk about a journey of change and and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Numerous years later, Paul comes to the city of Lystra, Acts chapter 14, and he's just, like, God's just marked him. God's changed him. God's done unbelievable work. Um, to bring him from being an evil man to being um, a, a spirit-filled man who's changed by the power of God. And he comes to the city of Lystra, and there's some Jews that are hiding out, possibly some of the very ones who he worked alongside um, and, and even uh, messed up Christians with. Um, they jump him, they beat him, they drag him out of the city, and they leave him for dead outside the city. What does Paul do? Well, he lays there till he gets some aid from some uh, Christians uh, nearby. They uh, help him. Paul uh, recovers in uh, not too long of a time, and he immediately goes back to continuing to um, love people and serve people into the kingdom of God, making disciples, walking with people to strengthen their faith. He goes back to Lystra, like, like a week later, the very city that he was beaten in, left for dead, and he comes back there to preach the gospel because God has done an unbelievable work in his life of transforming him. In Acts chapter 20, the chapter before, or at the very beginning of this chapter, um, actually I believe it's Acts 19, Paul is preaching. And there's several people listening, and there's, there's a kid sitting in a window. And he falls asleep. I know, some of you are already asleep. I'm going to send Abe around to pop you on the back of the head. Um, this kid falls asleep because Paul's just long-winded, kind of like you're like this guy up front. Um, and uh, he falls asleep, and he falls out of the window, down three stories, and they're like, should we get up? Should we, like, should we check? Like, I don't want to interrupt the service. Like, should we check? No, they get up. They run down. They're like, go get him. Like, Johnny fell. Like, they go check on him, and he's, he's dead. Like, just picture that. Like, here, preaching, like, so, like, 
Praise God, no one's, I've never killed anybody through my preaching. I've put some people to sleep, but I've never killed anybody. Paul goes down to him. Scripture says he, they, he picks him up. He speaks life over him. His life is restored. And what, is, what does Paul do? He stays there for the rest of the night, ministering to the church. Because when something like that happens, you need like to talk about it. You need to like, oh my goodness, what just happened? I don't even understand. So Paul stays there, and then God sends him to, on to what's next. Like he just goes on the next day, um, and he comes to these. He comes to Ephesus, which we're going to look at today, and. and What's crazy is Paul is just on a journey where the Spirit is working, the Spirit is moving, the Spirit is leading, and he's just like, I'm just going to be obedient. I'm just going to be faithful to be and do the things of the Lord. And we come to Acts chapter 20, and let me give you a little bit of background. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is going to address the, um, the leaders of the church of Ephesus. And in the midst of addressing the leaders in the church of Ephesus, um, this is a church that he's helped to start. He's labored with these guys. He's walked beside them. And he comes to them, and basically this is the, 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 one of the final chapters in his life. Um, and he's leaving them with words of encouragement as he transitions on um, and continues the journey that God has for him. Look at... Uh, Verse 17, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember very vividly 10 years ago when God called us to North Church. Um, it was the most, one of the most difficult times in my life. Um, here I was a good Christian kid, grew up in a Christian home, grew up in church. Uh, I knew all the rules, I knew all the moral codes, um, and I came to church and I was like, man, God is going to use me um, to do crazy things because I got it all together. And in fact, what I realized is that most often God isn't so much, God isn't always just in the business of using us, he's in the business of changing us. God wants to change us. And I came here wrecked. I've said it numerous times. I learned the gospel here. I learned what grace was here. I learned that it wasn't about my performance, it wasn't about my achievement, it was about Jesus Christ and a cross that makes me right with God. God changed me, God transformed me. Paul talks about the, the plot of the Jews, which, which is the, the push for religion, the push for, you know, you be a good person and you, you do the Christian things and God loves you and God accepts you, when in reality... The greatest enemy, one of the greatest enemies to the gospel is religion. And that's something I learned here. That's something I've taught here. That's something that's foundational to who we are as a church. And here's the truth is that the enemy will always try to destroy the work of the gospel with the mirage of religion. He always will. This, this fake picture that this is what God wants. When in reality, like God wants you. 
He doesn't want your activity. He doesn't want your good behavior. He, doesn't, he could care less about it because you can do all that and God not have your heart. God wants your heart. Right? Can you imagine being in a relationship with somebody where you had all the actions of their life, but you didn't have their heart? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. One of my favorite things about the past 10 years has been our unapologetical approach and attempt to keep the gospel central to everything that we've done. And I just want to say, keep at it. Keep Jesus first. Not a pastor, not a person, not a program, not a building, not a method. The person of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I learned in coming here um, and journeying with you all here is that um, repentance isn't just the, the thing that bad Christians do to become better Christians. It's actually the thing that, ma- that mature Christians do to saturate themselves in the love and grace of Jesus. And the more you saturate yourself in the love and grace of Jesus, the more you realize how wretched and wicked you are. And the more you realize, I need to repent not just for bad Christians. Not just for when you just screw up. Because the truth is, is we screw up all the time. And God's beckoning us into his love. Not to perform better, but to embrace his perfect performance on our behalf. Listen, church, don't lose sight of your continual need to repent. Don't lose sight of it. Verse 22, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. I, I wonder, this idea of being constrained by the Spirit, um, the past numerous months as the others have been navigating just kind of what God's doing, I would say that, that's a phrase that we would use, that we were constrained by the Spirit. Like God was working and it was evident that God had us and was doing something. That's what Paul's saying. Constrained by the Spirit. Not knowing what will happen to me there. You want to be constrained by the Spirit when you don't know what's going to happen. And the truth of the matter is that when you live your life constrained by the Spirit, you don't know what's going to happen. Because He might take you here. He might take you there. He might do this with you. He might do that with you. And no matter what, it's going to be amazing. Because God's for your joy more than you could ever be. Ever be. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He says, hard times are coming. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, 
for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. One of the things that, as Danielle and I have processed um, the past couple months, and especially the past couple weeks, and we've processed change, change is hard, isn't it? It's weird. It's different. Um, and there's definitely been a, a season of lamenting. Lamenting. Complaint that finds its trust in God. There's been a season of lamenting because change is hard. Sometimes we choose it. Sometimes we're forced to change. But no matter what, change happens. Things change. And the truth of the gospel is that when you're constrained by the Spirit, you're constantly being beckoned to be made new. Like, that's what Revelations, Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Like, I want to do something new in you. I don't just want to do the same old thing. I don't just want you to love the same scripture that you've always loved. Like, if you ever, like, wrote down a scripture verse on a card and you're like, gosh, this is incredible. And you, like, live that and love that and quote that and put that up. Some of you are like, no, that's way too spiritual. Okay, that's, that's totally fine. Um, but, but you get to the point where later on you read that and you're like, that's a, that's a good verse. But it wasn't as awesome because like, maybe there's something new God has you clinging to. Maybe there's a new phrase or a new quote or, or, or something new that he's pressing your mind to. Why? Because God's always stirring. His Spirit's always working. Um, he's always growing us. So I've threatened to my family on numerous occasions over the past month to shut down our pool. Um, I'm not complaining, but this August weather has posed some um, problems. Um, it has just not been hot enough. So, like, my kids aren't swimming. And I'm like, go swim. And they're like, the water's kind of cold. And I'm like, go swim. Like, the water is sitting, and it's getting green, and I can't keep it clean because you're not using the pool. I'm not really mad at them. I'm just kind of um, being silly here a little bit. But, but, but here's the truth, is that when things stay stagnant, when things don't change and aren't stirred up, they can get nasty. Because what happens is, is in stagnancy, death grows. But the Spirit's always prompting us. He's always pushing us. He's like, I got more for you. I got more for you. Because what I have to do, and the reason why I want to shut down the pool is because I got to buy all this shock and I got to buy all these chemicals and I got to like, get in there and brush the floor because no one's in there like stirring things up. And I got to shock it. I got to dump all this chemical in there so that it shocks it and kills the bacteria. That's what change does. This is a shock to our system. It's a like, oh, wow, like I better address this. I better, oh, do I really trust the Lord? Do I, do I really believe that he's good and God and that he's on the throne? Do I really believe that? Change forces us to that. It forces us to believe that God is for us, that, that he is making all things new, and that where we just want to stay ho-hum, just walk through the motions, God's like, I have so much more for you. Listen, stagnant faith is destructive because it reflects an out-of-date God. It reflects an expired grace. It reflects the boredom of religion. I mean, can you imagine the stories that the Apostle Paul would be able to tell his grandkids 
Man, I was preaching one day, a dude fell out the window. I went down, picked him up. He came back to life. What? Like, like when, when you live a life where you're like, God, you're real. You're really real. I don't just come and sing some songs and hold a Bible and do religious things. Like, I actually want to take my life and put it in the hands of a God who's living and active. And let's just see what he'll do with me. Let's just see where he'll take me. Let's just see how he'll use me. Let's just see how he'll change me. That's who God is. But change is hard. And trusting God in the next steps is painful. And I know there's been a process of that for us. For you, for the elders, for my family. There's been a, there's been a journey of that. Of Okay, like we've got we to gotta really trust God that he's, he's leading. We've got to really trust God that what's next is what he's leading. One of my favorite quotes... J.I. Packer, and still he seeks the fellowship of his people and will bring them both sorrow and joy to detach their hands from the things of this world and attach them to himself. That's what changed us. That's what hard times do. He's like, get your hands off of what you think is going to bring you joy. Get your hands off of what you think is actually ruining you. And get them on me. Attach them to me for I'm for your joy. You see, on the one hand, we think that being comfortable is the safest thing. We think that if we can be in control, it's the safest thing. But in reality, it's incredibly dangerous because it's the perception of safety. And it's the comfort of stagnancy where we just think we're okay. Oh, it's just a little green in the pool, and then before you know it, my three-year-old comes and says, Daddy, the pool is green! And then it's a whole bigger issue. Listen, family, the, the truth is, is that hard times await you. That's what Paul was alluding to in his own life. That's what he's reminding these leaders of this church is that hard times await you. Why? Because it's through the hard times that God actually grows us and strengthens us and changes us and uses us to bring transformation in the world, to push back what's dark in the world. Hard times. And the question becomes is will we value them? Will we place this, this love on our life that's marked more by what I want than by the gifting of God in my life, than by the work of the Spirit and His leadership in my life, than by the glory of God. Because Paul says, I account my life worth nothing if only God may be seen as the greatest. It doesn't matter how successful I am or how things go, if only God may be seen as the greatest He says, I want my journey of transformation to make it all about Jesus to the very end. To the very end. Not just for like the season when my kids are watching, but to the very end. 
This is what he's doing. He's pushing us out. The call to Christianity is not safe. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. It's not always fun. But what do you expect from a leader who gave up his life so that we may have life? The Spirit's continually pushing us out. It's like, imagine a toddler, right? Like, or a baby, they roll over. Way to go! Like, retirement, you did it! You moved! You ate a pea! We're done! No, like, you long for bigger and better. Like, you can eat... Like, steak is coming. I had some amazing steak last night. Like, two pieces. The, the other guy ate the rest. Um, and uh, <clears throat> that was right before the, I fought him. Oh, no, wait. That was on the TV. Um, sorry, I'm out of control. Um, but we long for more, right? Like, what we see children and we grow them. We see them grow up. We want them to grow up. That's what God wants for us. It's not like when you become an adult and you're still going to church and you're still hanging out with Christians, like you've arrived and like you can coast into heaven. Like, no. I don't care if you're 4, 44, 74, 104. Like God wants to change you and grow you and make you more like him. He's beckoning you into his presence. The problem is, is that we pursue our freedom over faithfulness. When in reality, walking in faithfulness is actually in response to a God who's set us free and inviting us to be filled with His Spirit, to live in that freedom as the faithful people of God. Not because we're amazing at being faithful, but because we have a God who is the faithful one and beckons us into a life that says, I'm not always okay but I believe in a God and I believe in a grace that's enough. And it'll catch me when I fall. Here's the reality is we got to be careful not to view our life as this precious thing we got to protect or our church. This church is like this prized possession we've got to protect like the parable of the talents, like the one talent. God, you gave me the talent and I hid it in the ground because I wanted to give it back to you. God sent that guy into destruction. God says, I want you to entrust yourself to a faithful God. I'm the prize. He is the prize. Having great family, having great kids, having great money, having great cars, having a great ministry having a great Bible reading program, it's not the prize. The question is, is, do those things lead you into the worship of the giver of all of those things that are tremendously good, tremendously good? Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight. Verse 28, pay attention Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul's admonishing the Ephesian elders to be the people, to be the leaders that God's called them to be. Here's what I want to encourage you to pray for your elders. You do not realize what they bear. You do not realize how hard they love and serve you. I've walked with these two men for the past 10 years and watched them labor and sacrifice so that God may be glorified and so that you may know the gospel. And Mike and Rick are just incredible men and incredible friends, and so are their wives. Pray for them. Encourage them. Let them know that you love them because they're for you. They're for you. But here's the truth. This, isn't, this has never been my church. This has never been Rick's church. This has never been Mike's church. This has never been Jeff's church. This has never been your church. What does it say? It's been bought with the blood of Jesus. Look, it's his church. We want what he wants. We want to submit to what his spirit is doing. It's his Appoint and empower leaders that believe that, that hold to that. Let's see, this isn't about a leader. This isn't about a system. This is about a person, and his name is Jesus. Because here's the truth, is that a blood-bought church has unbelievable potential. When you walk out this door and you realize, I'm a loved child of God. My future is secure. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what people say to me. It doesn't matter what I face. Like, that's an unbelievable power that will transform not only your heart and your home, but the world. Be that. Don't settle for anything different. Jesus has purchased this church. See to it that it becomes all that he's intended. Look at verse 31. Therefore, be alert. Such a good reminder. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of them all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. I love Paul's words. In verse 32, when he says, I give you over to grace. I give you over to grace. If I could use one word that describes the past 10 years here, it's that. Grace. The grace of God. And I just wrote this massive list um, from doing life together. I remember super early on, um, when 
like one of the first community groups, we would just be gathering, and my daughter, who's now nine, would just sit in the middle of the community group while we just talked about life and talked about the Lord and shared in life together. And we didn't need a babysitter. Like, she just sat there. Now we need, like, three just for her. Um, but uh, like doing life together, just tremendous grace. Things like 40 days of transformation that we did a while back, just journeying together for 40 days, saying, God, what would you have? Remember this, the baptism celebration in my backyard where we dunked people? It was clear water that day, um, and uh, it was cold, though. Um, but the kids got in it at the end, and we just celebrated the cross. We just celebrated the work of God. We played kiddie pool kickball a different day. Like, we need to do that again. Can we just can we get that on the calendar and, and make that happen? Like, I'll, you still have my backyard. Like, I'll, we can do that because that was just incredible. Um, Thanksgiving dinner, we put 40 people in my living room with tables and chairs, and we just celebrated Thanksgiving as a family. It's just the grace of God. From hospital visits to baby dedications to times where we wept together. Projects in the community, from the community garden to that day we had church at the garden. You've been to that garden lately? Go see it. It's incredible. All one person's vision. I know you don't like credit, but Megan Brockmeyer envisioned that. It's It's the grace of God service projects from Russell to Walker to Affordable Christmas to post-Ferguson riots where we just went down there and we just loved people and we helped give kids lunches who couldn't get to school because school was canceled because they didn't know if they were safe. And we just went and we just were present. It's the grace of God. From our journey in Unleashed Church where we just saw, what does it look like to be the spirit-filled people of God? It was transformational. From the story series where we put some of you in an awkward position and put a camera in front of your face and forced you to say what God's doing in your life. I did it too. It was terrible. Um, almost as terrible as editing them. But they, like, it was unbelievable. Like What God did in, our, in this body through seeing the gospel change people, normal people, Normal, everyday people that have a story. From trips to Mexico and India to Joplin, where we helped with a tornado. A Good Friday service that was interrupted by a tornado. From early on, when our kids' space was a boardroom with expensive chairs and an expensive table. And I'm pretty sure we broke the leg on that table. Did they ever fix that? Oh, they haven't fixed it. Sorry. Doesn't Jen work there? Okay. Oh, sorry. Edit, edit, edit that part out. Listen, it's, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Paul says, I give you over to grace. That's one of the, one of the metaphors the Spirit's given me over the past several months. Is that we as the people of God are always falling into Grace. We're always falling into, into grace. I want to encourage us 
but God has immense things in store. That God's doing an immense work. And here in a second, I want to I want to commission you. Um, it's it's always been uh, I've been a part of numer- numerous services where I was the one leading out and commissioning people to go. And I figured, you know, there's no better way to send you than to send you, right? Than to pray over you and say, go, be the people of God. Be who God's beckoned you and called you to be as the people of North Church. Embrace the gospel and be changed. So I want to pray here in a second. What I just wrote about eight statements that in my attempt to say everything I want to say, I wrote these eight statements out. It's just final, final challenges as I, under the power of these statements, but also the, the power of the gospel as I pray over you in a second and ask the Spirit of God to unleash His presence and send you as the people of God into one another's lives and into our community. A couple statements that I want to leave you with before I pray over you. The first one is this. Is always be a safe place for the weak. Always. Paul said that in the end of, the end of Ephesians. Always be a safe place for the, for the, for the outcast, for the religious outcast, for the financial outcast, for the minorities. Be a safe place for the weak. Pray more. Be a people that prays ever more and ever more because, listen, let's just be honest. He is all we have. He is all we have. Get out of these walls. Get out of your homes and go and be sent together. Go love the lost. Go love your community. Listen, North Church has the potential to change North County. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. We've seen it. But there's more. There's so much more. Work with all your might to that end. Don't forget the mission of making disciples. Gosh, it's been... A, it's been unbelievable to watch the Lord use you in growing me and watch the Lord use me in, in growing up some of you. Like, don't lose sight of that, church family. Don't. The mission of making disciples. Learn to rest. To breathe in the sovereignty of God. That he's on the throne. That your success or failure isn't contingent upon your success or failure. Learn to rest. I probably put that one in most because that's what I've learned in the journey. Don't be so comfortable. Don't be so comfortable. Get out. Push one another out. Man, there's some of you in here that are so good at that. They're just speaking boldness into each other's lives. Get out. Be different. Make a difference. Don't just sit where it's safe and comfortable and you know what to say and you know what will be said to you. Go and don't underestimate the power of just showing up regardless of what might come, what you might experience, what you might face. Don't be so comfortable. Fall into grace. Every moment of your life, fall into grace. Be a people that 
when you step, you realize, listen, I'm falling into grace every moment of my life. And lastly, everything is about the glory of, glory of God and the fame of, of Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what this church is about. That's what your life is about. That's what my life is about, is that Jesus would be made much of. Um, I want to pray for you. Normally, we have you gather in the middle. I'm not doing that because that would be all of you, me. No. Um, but uh, in norm- and, and what I want to do is I want to pray and I want to commission you into worship. So we're going to do our typical response time. Um, but I want to commission you um, not even to just go out the doors, but I want to commission you to respond to God and become a worshiper that you would see God in an unbelievable way that would then send you to go be changed and live a changed life. And so, um, you can just humor me. If you just want to sit there and kind of open your hands, it's not magical or special, but maybe as a symbol of surrender to the Lord. Um, I want to pray over us, pray over you. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every, every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant this church to be strengthened with power through your spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, that they would be rooted and grounded in love and may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know your love, Jesus, that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Papa, that's my prayer. That's my prayer for this amazing body, is that your spirit would move, that lives would be changed, that brokenness would be bound up, that shackles would be released, that gifting would would flourish, that the hurting would find hope. That Jesus would be seen as everything and enough. God, I pray that this body would grow in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. I pray your favor over Rick. I pray your favor over Mike as the elders. God, and new leaders that they would appoint. God, I pray that you would give them your grace and give them your spirit. Pray for Rebecca and for Josh as they come on as new staff, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that you'd give them uh, unimaginable dreams and wisdom, God, to lead and serve in ways they couldn't even imagine apart from you. And God, I pray for every single person in this body. that they would be filled to the, all the measure of the fullness of God. And they would find that you're real. And they would find that you are the God you say you are. And I pray for those in this room that just aren't quite sure that you are who you say you are. God, would you just hold them? 
Would you just love them? Would you show them that you're okay with the fact that they don't know? That you're not worried about that? You're not upset about that? That you're big enough to let them sit in that and let them ponder that? God, thank you for the gift of this church to my family. And I pray that you'd send them out to be different, to be the change, but God, that they would be transformed evermore by the gospel. And I pray now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.